Uh, this is talk number six from our series in the book of Revelation. Uh, my name's Adam. It's great to be sharing God's word with you today. We're in chapters 12 to 14 or thereabouts. Our state of origin is one of those sporting events that I really, really enjoy watching. New South Wales versus Queensland. And how many games are there in the series? Yep, there are three games. Uh, and if you win two games, the victory is all yours. But you still, still need to play the third game. Is that right? That is indeed right. The third game is never, ever a dead rubber. Not by any means. Uh, the victory is won. Nothing can change that for the, for the triumphant team. But there's still a contest, another game to play and they will run and they will kick and they will tackle and they'll get injured and they might get sent to the sin bin and blood is spilt, bodies collide, hit up after hit up after hit up. Victory is assured, they've got the trophy, nothing can change that, but they're still contending, aren't they? Today, we're going to see that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Uh, it's a victory that Jesus has won for us on the cross. But as Christians, we are still in game three. We're still contending. Uh, we're still taking the ball up and getting hit. And so how do these chapters in the book of Revelation help us today? Well, that's what we're going to try and do. Uh, so before we uh, delve deeper, let us pray. Loving Father, grow us by your spirit. Uh, show us what these words mean. Help me to be faithful. Show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. All to your glory and praise we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are in chapter 12. Uh, if you've read chapter 12, I hope you have. If you haven't, pause. Have a quick read of it now. If you've read chapter 12, uh, notice there's a battle in heaven at the beginning, verses 1 to 6, and then there's a battle on earth, uh, verse 13 on. And the big character in chapter 12 is the dragon. Straight away, the original reader would be thinking this is a classic enemy of God. This is Pharaoh. This is Egypt. Uh, maybe it's even Rome, but Rome will appear a bit later on. Verse 3, the dragon has seven crowned heads and ten horns. This is one pretentious creature holding pretensions of divinity with complete power and authority. But this is oppressive power and oppressive authority. And it is terrifying. There's no doubt about that. Verse 9 tells us the identity of the dragon. And we see, verse 9, the great dragon is hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. So if this is what we're up against, how do these chapters help us? Well, there are three things I want to share with you today about the devil. 
Uh, the first is that the devil is opposed to God. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, he's in heaven making war. In verses 3 and 4, he's throwing his weight around up there in the heavenly realm. And of course, God is not going to put up with that. And so the devil is cast out, verse 9, hurled down to the earth, as we read, and now he's on earth. And what is he doing, verse 13? Onwards, he's still making war. And how does he make war? Verse 9, he makes war against God by leading the nations astray, by deceiving them. We're back in the garden when he led Adam and Eve astray and he deceived them. Satan is a liar. And here, in the time of John, he's going to have the whole world believing that a Roman emperor is God. He's a liar. He's about fake God. Satan, see how fake Satan is. He, he even gets his fake trinity on. Did you? Can you see that in chapter 13? We've got a dragon. And then in verse 1, the dragon stands on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast. Oh, now we've got a beast coming out of the sea. In verse 11, we've got another beast coming out of the earth. We've got three. This is one unholy, totally corrupt trinity. Some people wonder whether the first beast is a demonic counterpart to Christ. Why do they say that? Well, because... This beast is slain. Verse 3, he's fatally wounded, but he lives. Hmm. Uh, he also receives power and authority comes to him from the dragon. And then there's the other beast, verse 16. Uh, it does this curious thing of marking people with a seal. Uh, verse 16, verse 13, it's involved in miracles and fire. Uh, and it points people to the other beast. Verse 14, it even animates an idol of the other beast. Go figure. And then you get thinking, well, as are we marked? We are marked. Ephesians says we're marked by the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? And in Acts, is the Holy Spirit described as a fire coming down? And does the Holy Spirit point people to Jesus? And for sure, the dragon is a fake god. And maybe this beast out of the sea is a fake demonic counterpart to Jesus Christ. And maybe this other beast that comes out of the earth is a fake manifestation of the third person of the Trinity. Who's not, who knows? It's all fake, that's for sure, and it's all counterfeit. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing worse than getting caught with something fake, is there? When you can have the real thing. Ever bought a fake watch? So disappointing. Or a fake purse? Fake, ever received fake money? Or fake sausages? You can buy fake sausages now. Or fake meat patties can appear in your burger. Can you believe that? What is this world coming to? Or we now even have fake crowds at the football. Or TV shows will show us fake relationships. Or the actors, as they pretend to be something that they aren't really in real life because they're pretending. Adults 
playing dress-ups and pretending to be something they're not. It's fake. Fake relationships, fake sex, fake happiness, fake people. Why does the world settle for it? Why does the world settle and accept that which is counterfeit? A counterfeit God or a counterfeit gods when you can have the real thing. Why has the world traded the glory of the immortal creator God for something less than God? The real God, our Father, the real Jesus, the real Holy Spirit. Uh, Is it because the world swallows the devil's lies wholesale? And the answer, of course, is yes. The devil is the father of lies. We're told that by Jesus in John 8, 44. He's the father of lies and he's a defeated enemy. We're told that in verse 12 of chapter 12, Revelation. It says his time is short. And because he's defeated and because his time is short, he doesn't take us on head on. Because if he did, he would lose. You would see him for what he is. Instead, the devil tells lies. The devil tries to trick us. How does he trick us? Well, as Christians, I think the devil wants us to believe that he's still a contender for the title. The devil wants us to believe that God and him is like an arm wrestle. Two equals vying for power. That somehow the devil is God's equal. But again... That is fake news, people. It is called dualism. It is bogus. It is a lie. God is the creator. The devil is created. God is infinite. The devil is finite. God is righteous and holy. The devil is fallen and fallible and full of falsehood. What other lies does the devil tell? Well, if you're a Christian, he's going to tell you that God doesn't love you. If you're a Christian, he's going to try and tell you that you're not saved. He's going to tell you that your church family are trouble and not worth the effort. The devil doesn't want you to worship the one true God. The devil is opposed to God. That's the first thing. The second thing to see is that the devil is opposed to Jesus. Even at his birth, chapter 12, verse 4b, there's an image of the dragon waiting to devour this child as the child is being born. And I don't remember that in the nativity scene. Uh, No, because this is from the perspective of the heavenly realm. The dragon is terrifying. But can you see that even in heaven's birthing room, so to speak, He's got nothing. Yeah, he's trouble. But see before God, see before Jesus, before the angels, again, the devil is powerless. We know that whatever the devil throws at Jesus, whether it was King Herod and his infanticide or Jesus' temptation in the desert or he gets to the family with John's beheading, Or even Jesus' own crucifixion, no contest. No contest between God and the devil. Jesus 
and the devil. Let me say it again. Jesus has won the victory. Nothing can change that. On the cross, Jesus defeated the devil. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And in nailing it to the cross, look at verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The answer is the cross. Hear this clearly. The devil is a defeated enemy. And so why don't you take a moment now just to pause with the people that you might be with as you fellowship Pause and give thanks to God for Christ's victory over the devil. Why don't we do that now? The devil is opposed to Jesus. Which brings us to the third thing that chapter 12 shows us. It's that the devil is opposed to followers of the Lamb, Christ's church, God's people. Do you see the pattern? He goes after God. He goes after Jesus and now he goes after his church. How do we see that? Well, verse 1 of chapter 12, there is the woman and she is clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet. Twelve stars crown her head. And this woman, you need to know, this is the stuff of Joseph's dream. Remember Joseph, the dreamer in Genesis Chapter 37, his dad was Jacob and Jacob had 12 boys and those 12 boys would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's through this family that we look for God's promise to bless the world. And I think this woman with the 12 crowns on her head representing the people of God now, I think this woman embodies all those Old Testament people who look forward to Christ's coming. They look forward to a Messiah. So you could think Moses. You could think David, Isaiah, Ezekiel and Daniel. Even in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you could be thinking of people like Mary and Simeon and Anna and Zechariah and cousin John the Baptist. Even Philip in John's Gospel, chapter 1, as he talks to Nathaniel about finding the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. Here are God's people with an expectation. They're pregnant, so to speak, with the promise of a Messiah. Verse 5, chapter 12 of Revelation, the one who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. See, that, that, that comes out of Jacob and his boys again in, in Genesis 49. Or Psalm 2, this same promise is recorded. And we know the one who will rule all nations with the iron scepter, we know it's Jesus. So the woman embodies people who hold out hope for the Messiah. But see the dragon chases the woman. See the woman suffer. 
So look at verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, Jesus. Uh, The woman who was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she uh, would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. So there's protection there. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Oh my goodness, what is this about? Think Exodus. Think the Red Sea party. Um, identify the water the way Revelation does as being the source of chaos and evil. And it's chasing after them. And just like Pharaoh did, Old Testament Israel. See, just as the old covenant people of God were preserved and protected as Pharaoh chased them into the Red Sea and as they crossed it with water raging, with the earth shifting, He acts the way he acts in the past. Verse 17, such that then the dragon was enraged. He's a cranky beast, isn't he? Always waging war. He's enraged. What a surprise. At the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. See, again, he's unsuccessful. So he's angry. Those and who are the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's command and hold fast, to their testimony about Jesus. There it is in black and white. Those who follow the Lamb. So we need to see this. Just as Christ is the fruit and the fulfilment of the old covenant people of God, so too is his church, those who follow the Lamb. Is Abraham our father? And the answer is yes. Romans chapter 4, 16. And this is what we see here. We see the church as part of the fulfilment of all of God's promises. So see the devil oppose God. See the devil oppose Jesus. See the devil oppose followers of the Lamb, those who um, embrace the Messiah. At whatever stage of history, see that the victory is won. But see also that the contest is not over. See the victory is won. See the devil's power is limited. But see that the contest is not over. That the light has come, but the winter is not over yet. Now, this reading should not surprise us. Maybe you're tempted to see this as some way off future event. And I want to say to you, as we've been saying in the book of Revelation already, this is the world we live in now. Christians are continually involved in a battle with Satan. Our battle is not a sign that Jesus lost. Our battle is a sign that Jesus has won. That Jesus is victorious. And because Jesus has won, because Jesus is victorious, it follows that the devil is angry about that. And he wants to take us down anyway. Because his time is short, chapter 12, verse 12. If you flick over to the book of Ephesians, as we think about uh, this spiritual battle that we're engaged in, chapter 2, verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live 
when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Here we are. That's this stuff. Or Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong. And in his mighty power, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This, this stuff. This is the world we live in now. And if this is the world that we live in now, we need to see that in this war, there is no Switzerland. Do you see that? Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 makes that very clear. All the inhabitants of the earth are going to worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. Which Lamb? The Lamb who was slain. See it again. In this war, there is no Switzerland. There is no neutral territory. So then you might say to me, Adam, well, how do we drive back the powers of darkness? How do we do that? Chapter 14. Can you see chapter 14? See the lamb in verse 1. He's standing on Mount Zion. What a beautiful picture. Uh, With his people who are not marked with the sign of the beast, but with the father's name written on their foreheads. I want to know why people so preoccupied with finding a physical mark of the beast, aren't preoccupied with looking for people who have been marked with the Father's name written on their foreheads. Why don't they do that? Notice verse 2, the band is back. People with harps, playing their harps. And oh, what a surprise. They're singing another new song. Is it another new song or the same new song from chapter 5? It could be. I like that idea. Uh, Because the gospel song is the new song. It's the song that Psalm 96 promises and looks forward to. And notice that uh, in verse 4, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. This is God's people. This is those covered by the blood of the lamb, those who are redeemed. And in response to this unholy trinity in chapters 12 and 13, in response to these Awful beasts. What is the solution? Get a load of verse 6. Then John sees another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because this is the hour of judgment. Worship him who has made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. See, if you want to drive back the powers of darkness, the answer is preach the gospel. That's what we see here. We've got to be about preaching the gospel, speaking the good news, 
Which means that we need to learn to preach it to ourselves, doesn't it? We need to remind ourselves that we are loved by God. We need to remind ourselves in Christ Jesus, yes, we are saved. We need to remind ourselves that we belong, that we have a church family. A church family saved and loved by God also. And as we go, we're to speak it out to every nation, every tribe, every language and people. As we go, we do what Ephesians 6 tells us to do, don't we? If you kept reading chapter 6, we put on the full armour of God. In verses 14 to 17, we're told to put on the belt of truth that's buckled around our waist. We arm ourselves with God's truth, not the devil's lies. Do you see that? We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness, Ephesians tells us, which reminds us that we are saved, that we are right with God. We're to put on our feet a readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, a readiness to pursue peace, not trouble. And the shield of faith that reminds us that we're loved by God. And the helmet of salvation that reminds us that we are saved. And the sword of the Spirit again comes back to the truth of God's word, not the devil's lies, God's word. And as we do, as we do, May heaven sing. As we remember, you are loved by God. You are saved through Jesus. And you have a church family that loves you. And as we do that, may heaven sing. Chapter 12, verse 10. Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Now has come. See, it's about the cross. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, or oh, he's been thrown out. And they triumphed over him. Who? The church. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They've been proclaiming the gospel. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you and he is filled with fury. Because he knows that his time is short. Brothers and sisters, the victory is won. But we're still in game three. So let us continue to clothe ourselves with the gospel. Let us proclaim the good news about the God who loves us in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer the slain lamb of God. Amen.